All right, so we are in Jude, Jude chap, Jude, and we're going to start reading. I'm going to start reading again at verse 5, uh, although we're going to focus in specifically on verse 11. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in, the undergo- in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, for they have paid... And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So this guy, Jude, absolutely loves the scriptures. He loves the scriptures. He keeps quoting and making reference to things in the Old Testament. He keeps doing it. So in verse 5, what he did is he made reference to... um, to when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. And he said in verse 5, Now our desire to remind you, though you know all things. And that's because he was speaking to Jewish believers. So they already knew these stories from the Old Testament. And then he points out the rebellion of the angels in in verse 6. And then in verse 7, he reminds them of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in in verse 9, he talks about the, the uh, burial of Moses. And then, and then uh, now in verse 11, he's going to do it again. Three references to Old Testament scriptures he makes in verse 11. First, he starts off with woe to them, which means great sorrow, distress, trouble, trouble. He says that there's going to be real problems for these false teachers. For false teachers, there's going to be real trouble. And he says, for they have gone the way of Cain. Now, who knows anything about Cain unless they've read the Old Testament? Unless they've, they've, they're familiar with the Old Testament, they're not going to know anything about Cain. So he assumes that they understand the Old Testament because he doesn't, he doesn't talk at all about what Cain did. He doesn't say, well, remember, Cain was the, the oldest son of Adam and Eve, and he, he killed his younger brother, Abel, because he was jealous of the fact that God respected Abel's offering more than Cain's offering, and so he killed his brother. He didn't take us through that at all. He assumed we already knew it. And then he talked about uh, uh, Balaam, and he says, and for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. Well, what was the error of Balaam? Remember, Balaam was hired by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse the children of Israel. And God interceded and told Balaam, you better not curse them. And all he could do was bless them. But 
why was he killed? Why do they keep making reference to Balaam if he didn't curse the children of Israel? Because he didn't curse them, but he gave Balak another scheme to overcome the children of Israel. And that is mentioned a little bit in the Old Testament that, that, uh, uh, that, that there was trouble with the children of Israel because of the women of Moab. The women of Moab seduced the young men of Israel. So, so there was not an all-out war, but they seduced them, and they brought them into their idol worship. And we learn in the book of Revelation, Jesus teaches us a little bit more about that. So it's in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you, because you, because you have there some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of immorality. So what what Balaam did is though he never came out openly and cursed the children of Israel, remember what he wanted, he wanted so much to get paid, but he, he, he would not curse the children of Israel, he would only bless them, but he said, I'll, I'll tell you what you have to do, Balak. You send out your pretty young women and have them seduce the young men of Israel. And then they'll get them worshiping these foreign gods and, and they'll get them committing these acts of immorality with these young women. Just tell these young women to start sleeping around with these young men of Israel. That was their scheme and they were successful at that. The young women of Moab were very successful at that and because of that, many of the young men were killed by their fellow Israelites because of, of their immorality, of what they had done. So he makes reference to, to Balaam in this verse 11 of Jude. And then he also says, says that they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Korah's rebellion was when Korah and a few other of the leaders, Dathan and Abiram, opposed the leadership of Moses and Aaron. They wanted so much that they didn't like Aaron being the, the, the sole high priest. They wanted a piece of that priesthood. And they came against both Moses and Aaron. And there were 250 men with them. And as a result of Korah's rebellion, the ground opened up and swallowed them. It just swallowed them up, swallowed uh, uh, this Dathan and Abiram, just gobbled them right up along with their families and their whole tents. And the Korah and the 250 men with him also died in that fire that came down from the Lord, in, in the judgment that came down from the Lord. Who knew that? Who knows that? I mean, he just mentions, he mentions Cain, he mentions Balaam, he mentions uh, Korah. Nobody knows what he's talking about, unless you've been in the Old Testament, and that's been a part of your life. So what happens is, he's teaching us things from their own scriptures, and he makes mention of them, and he assumes that they already know them. He assumes that they know about them. There's this instruction that's coming to us from the Old Testament, from this Old Testament instruction. And so this is what we see here. And Jesus makes reference to things in the Old Testament. For example, in Luke chapter, chapter 17, when Jesus is speaking, he is teaching and he says in Luke chapter 17, verse 32 and 33, he says, remember Lot's wife. I don't know what you're talking about. Who's Lot? Who's his wife? If you don't know the Old Testament scriptures, you have no idea what Jesus is talking about. 
he assumes that these people that he's teaching know about Lot's wife. So when, when, uh, um, when Lot and his family were, were coming out of, of Sodom, the, the city of Sodom, uh, he, the angels warned them, don't look back. And his wife stopped and looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And, uh, um, and so there's, there's, there's this stone. And, and um, uh, you, you know, I, I was reading in, in, in um, Josephus, in the antiquity of the Jews, and Josephus was writing in the first century, and he says that that stone, that pillar of, of uh, Lot's wife is still there to this day. And so, so we're talking, you know, over a thousand years or something, and, and uh, uh, Josephus is making reference to that, and I was telling my son-in-law, he says, oh, that stone is still there to this day. So, you know, whether we know it, that's a stone, but that's a stone that's attributed to, to his wife. But in any, in, in any case, Jesus makes reference to this in Luke 17, 32 and 33. He says, remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Jesus uses Lot's wife as a reference point, assuming that they knew the Old Testament scriptures, and he says, that is our example. That's our example that whoever loves his life is going to lose it. And whoever loses his life uh, will preserve it. As Jesus put in another, in another occasion, he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it to life eternal. So if we love our lives, we're going to lose it. If we do everything for our own satisfaction, life will be terribly, dis- will be really discontent in life. And you see this with movie stars. You get everything you want and they're never happy. Jesus uses this as a reference point. He, he refers to the Old Testament. Many, many examples of this. Jesus does this. So, so uh, remember in, in, in John, chapter, John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, he says, just as the serpent was put, upon, uh, uh, w- w- was put up by Moses, just as the serpent was, was uh, uh, put up in the, in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be put up. Jesus made reference. He made reference to these points. So let's look at, at, at Romans Romans, uh, um, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Here Paul is writing, and he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none righteous, not even one. So what he's doing is he's referring uh, uh, to, to Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. He says there's none righteous, not even one. So here he's talking to people, and he says, As it is written... He didn't say to them, as you know, because he wasn't addressing primarily Messianic Jews, but he is using the Old Testament as a reference point. Whereas Jude was able to say to them, as you already know, because he was speaking to Messianic Jews, Paul is speaking here to Gentiles, and he says, as it is written, he's using this as a reference point. So again, the scriptures themselves were used by the New Testament writers as a point of reference. That was there for instruction. He used that as a point of reference. Let's turn to, to uh, um, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, we'll start reading from verse 1. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and they are not Messianic Jews. And so look at the way he starts this off. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. 
For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So he starts this off. He says, I don't want you to be unaware. Let me now teach you. You're, you're not familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. You're a bunch of Gentiles. You're not familiar with this. Let me teach you. I don't want you to be unaware, so let me teach you. That's what he's saying. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, for our fathers were all under the clouds and pa- all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the sp- same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So he is bringing them back to the Exodus, and he's teaching these Gentiles the Exodus. He's using the Old Testament as a reference point for the instruction of these Gentiles. He says, let me tell you what happened. Our fathers led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. They all ate the same spiritual food. They were all feasting upon the Lord. They all ate the same physical food as well. They were all eating the manna. And they were all drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And again, there is this, he's making reference to a Jewish, clearly Jewish teaching. His uh, Jewish teaching is that there, there was a rock that actually followed them. And he says, and that rock was Christ. It was Jesus who was supplying them with water. He's saying, he says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. He's telling them, all of them died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. That's it. Of all the people that came out, only Joshua and Caleb. So he's instructing them. They're not aware of this. But he's using this as a, as a reference point for his teaching. Now, these things happened as examples for us. So he says in verse 6, these things happened to them as examples for us. This thing happened to the children of Israel 1,500 years ago, he's saying, as an example to us in the first century. And this is as an, as an example to us in the 21st century. He says, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they stood up to play. So what he's making reference to is Exodus chapter 32, where where Aaron had made the golden calf. And he said the people sat down to eat, they had a feast, and they stood up to play. He's quoting from that very portion. He's quoting from that very portion and, 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 and mentioning this to them. Then he says in, in, verse, in verse 8, Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. And he's quoting from Numbers chapter 25, where there was a rebellion against God, and he, he just knocked them out. 23,000 in one day fell. This is 23,000 fell in one day. And, and so he... he, he, he Looks at these numbers. There are actually a little bit more if you consider consider uh, uh, an extra day. There was probably an extra thousand or so, according to the, what it tells us in the Old Testament. Then in verse nine, let us let us nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents when they started complaining against God, just as they were, had to go around the land of Edom. 
God sent serpents, and the serpents bit them, and many people died on that day. And that's when Moses erected a, 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 a bronze serpent on a, on a pillar, and the people could look to that and be saved. This is what he's making reference to. That's in Numbers chapter 21. He says in verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And he's referring to Numbers chapter 16 when they were grumbling against the Lord. And the Lord sent the destroyer among them and killed them. He says, now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I want you to see this point. He is instructing them from the Old Testament. And he's saying those things were examples for us. What these people went through were examples for us. He's again instructing them from the Old Testament and, and teaching them this. And then and Jesus did the same sort of thing. If you look in, in uh, 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 look now in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus does the same sort of thing. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of the grain and eat. So it was the Sabbath day, which is between Friday sundown and Saturday sundown. It was the Sabbath day. They were not supposed to pick grains and eat it according to rabbinic law. Rabbis have messed up so much. Jesus opposed rabbinic law. Around each one of the 16... The 613 commandments. There were 613 commandments that Moses gave. All right, You have the Mosaic Law, 613 commandments. Around every one of those 613 commandments, rabbis put many, many other for, uh, commandments around them. Some of them have thousands of commandments around them. For example, the Sabbath day and what you should do and should not do on the Sabbath day. There were thousands of commandments. To this day, there are thousands of rabbinic commandments about what you cannot do on the Sabbath day. That's why an Orthodox Jew cannot turn on the lights on the Sabbath day. Because God said, don't kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. Because it was, all, it was hard to, you know, you've got to go out and find wood out in the desert and chop it up. And, and there's a lot of work. You just, I don't want you to have to work. It's different than, you know, Flipping a switch on your stove today. And so there was a commandment that they couldn't even pick grains and eat. <clears throat> so they're walking through the grain fields and they start to eat. It says in verse 2, But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what's not lawful on the Sabbath. Because they were breaking rabbinic law. They weren't breaking any law of Moses. But he said to them, Have you not read? So as soon as he says to this, have you not read? He's bringing them back to their Old Testament scriptures. You see, Jesus is using the Old Testament scriptures as a starting point, and he says, have you not read? You should know this. You're Pharisees. You're not a bunch of Gentiles. You should know this. He doesn't have to be like Paul and saying, uh, uh, I know you're not aware of this thing. Let me teach you. He's saying, have you not read? Have you not read uh, what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but for the priests only. So, for those of you that have read the Old Testament, enough times to remember this case, Jesus is fleeing from, or David is fleeing from King Saul. 
he goes and and he goes and and, and there's this uh, in the Shiloh area. There's this they had, the tabernacle was there at that time, and he's hungry and he says to the priest, "Have you something here to eat?" And the priest said, "The only thing I have is the showbread that we put out fresh daily before the ark." David said, "Give it to me. I'm hungry. Let me eat." And so are the guys with me. They're hungry. Let them eat. And the priest gave it to him. He says, "Just make sure that." That you know the guys have repented of anything they've done. This is this is holy bread. But these were people who were hungry, and he said, "Go ahead and eat." Do you see how Jesus cares more about hungry people than he cares about showbread before the Lord that, that that's there for uh, uh, even though they were commanded to put showbread there? He says, "These people are hungry. Let them eat." He says, "My disciples are hungry. They can eat. They're not breaking any Sabbath rule here." David went into the, ta- into the tabernacle and he ate that showbread. This is what he's talking about. It's an amazing thing. So he quotes from this. And he says, David did this. What are you going to do with that? And he says in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 12, or have you not read in the law? Now he's saying the law of Moses, not your little uh, uh, rabbinic law. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Because priests are working on the Sabbath day. So they're breaking the Sabbath, and they're innocent. He said, all these restrictions you've put on people around the Sabbath, it's a bunch of nonsense, Jesus is saying. He says, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So he quotes now from the Old Testament. He says, if you had known what this means, quoting from the Old Testament, quote, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, unquote, then you would not have condemned the innocent. He said, if you understand the essence of even the law of God, you won't condemn the innocent. Jesus is bringing them back to the scriptures, and he says, you put all these rules around it which aren't there. He uses the scriptures as, as this, this, this touching point to teach them. He does this again in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Because that was the rabbinic teaching. You could divorce your wife for any reason at all. I've actually recently been reading rabbinic writings, and it is wild. Wow. You, you, could, you could divorce your wife for crazy things. I, I can't even say it publicly like this because it's too embarrassing. I mean, certain features about her body that if you, you don't like such and such feature about her body, boom, you're free to divorce her, according to the rabbis. It's crazy. And those rabbinic rules are still there. It's not like those have gone away. They're still there. So he says, can you divorce your wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said... Have you not read? Again, he brings them back. Have you not read? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Whoa, he made them male and female. Is Jesus going to get canceled? I mean, maybe he doesn't know yet. All right. Anyway, Jesus says, God made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he's quoting from the book of Genesis. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. He just, boom, this is, he put a line in the sand. He says, you, you can't divorce your wife for, for just any reason at all. So they come back at him. He says, they, so, so they come back at him with the scriptures. And, and uh, so they, they said to him in verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it's not been this way. He says he permitted you because of your hardness of heart. And you see that many times in the scriptures, because of their hardness of heart, he's like, fine. You know, this has never been my best way. And when you're a parent, you will understand this. Your kids will come to you and you know something is not the best thing for them, but you're like, fine, you want to eat seven pieces of pizza and a bunch of candy? Fine. But you're going to be sick all night and you're going to be thrown up all night, but fine, you learn your lesson. You, you, you see that this thing, and God does the same thing. You want to destroy your lives? Have at it. And then he says, and I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Jesus put that line there. He says, it was never God's best way. But if there's immorality in the marriage, he says, then, all right, I I will release that to you. So Jesus put certain stipulations on it. He said that was never God's highest way. But you see that he brought them back to the scriptures. Again, he was bringing them back to the scriptures. That's what he was doing. He did this again in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 21, um, he, he, he gives them, he tells them this parable, and then, then he goes on and he, he uh, uh, will pick it up in, in, say, in verse 42. Matthew 21, 42. But Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures, again, bringing them back to the scriptures, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from from the Lord. And, and uh, um, And it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing the fruit of it. Verse 44 of Matthew 21. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, he brings them back. So what's the lesson of this? The lesson of this is this. The scriptures give us a basis on which to make decisions, a basis on which to decide for things. How do we know it's okay to pick grain on the Sabbath? How do we know? Because we look at scriptural references and then we understand. How do we know? It's because we we look at these patterns. We look at these patterns in the scriptures and then we know. We see the same sort of thing. Paul, Paul makes reference to it. He, he's, he's teaching us that you should pay those who teach you the scriptures. Now, I'm not looking for pay. I, I, I make my salary another way. But he says, you should not resent paying your pastor. You should not resent those who labor over you in spiritual things. And he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, do not, does not the scriptures say, do not muzzle the ox while he's threshing? So in other words, when, a, when an ox is 
pulling this, this plow, at least let him you know, eat some of the, 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 the grain that's around him. Don't muzzle him while he's threshing. In the same way, he says, this was written for our instruction. In the same way, and he uses that as a, a branch point for analogy. So how does God speak? How does God primarily speak to us? Now, I, I've heard lots of things. God can speak to us in a still, small voice. You know, he just puts something in our heart. Sometimes God is speaking through a pastor, or you're hearing a Christian message, and God speaks to your heart. God speaks, can speak in many sort of ways. He can show you a rainbow, and it, you know, you had prayed something, and there's the rainbow, and God is speaking to you on something. God can speak to us hearing a message on the radio. But how primarily does God speak? He speaks to us through the scriptures. I've heard God, people tell me that God just speaks to them in the morning and they just start writing. And they just start writing and writing and writing. Pages and pages of beautiful things that God's speaking to them. That's great, but you know, our minds can do that too. Your mind, your mind can give you all sorts of imaginative things too. How do you distinguish? You know, sometimes, Lord, give me a parking space. Give me a... Go make a right and then a left, and then you find a parking space. I make a right and make a left, and the parking space is not there. So I heard God wrong. I mean, I hear God wrong all the time. But God primarily speaks to us by giving us examples from the Scriptures. When you know the Word of God, you have this huge database from which to draw. David was going through the same situation. He looked upon a woman and she was really beautiful to him, and he had enough power as king to end up sleeping with her. I'm in a position, you're in a position at some point in your life where you will have power over people, and you can exercise that power in cruel ways. Look at the outcome of David's life. It led to one sin and another sin and another sin and the loss of of, of a couple of his sons as a result of that. Uh-oh. I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to go there. I look at, 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 the, at the pattern of scriptures. I look at what the scriptures say, and it gives me a pattern of what to do. This is exactly what the scriptures are. This is exactly what Jude does. He says, look at Korah. Look at his rebellion. Look at Balaam. Look at his conniving and wanting to get money. And, and uh, uh, look at Cain, where he resented his brother and, and uh, he hated the body. He hated his fe fellow uh, uh, brother. Look at this. He looks at these examples, and this to him was instruction, and then he quotes it for us. This is exactly what the Scriptures do. If you do not know the Scriptures, you have very little way that God can speak to you. Your, your imagination can run wild thinking that God is speaking to you. I once sat in a, in a prayer meeting, and, and a guy was sharing a prayer about, uh, you know, he was really liking this one young lady. You know, we were young guys. You know, this, this is what occupies the mind of young guys. He was thinking that this young lady was, you know, maybe, maybe the one. And, and, he, and this other guy speaks up. He says, I, I just sense the Lord saying, go for it. And I'm like, I sense the Lord saying, don't go for it. You know, who's right? I mean, this guy is sensing the Lord saying, go for it. You know? And uh, which, is, which is like, yes. I mean, every, every young guy hears God say that to them. This is normal. This is not God speaking. This is your hormone speaking. 
And it's, it's hard to distinguish these things. It is hard to distinguish these things. But the Word of God is our anchor. That doesn't mean we always interpret it rightly. Lord, what should I do for my life? I mean, Judas went out promptly and hung himself. No, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't just you know, grab a verse out of nowhere. But what happens is when you know the Scriptures, it becomes a basis, a launch point for hearing the Word of God. And you learn by patterns of Scripture. This is our textbook. Have you ever gone into an exam without studying? And you're like, oh, I forgot about this test. I don't know what is going on. Look at all these questions. I have no idea. Has that ever happened to you on an exam? That you didn't know anything? You're like, maybe I can just write my name. That's about it. That's the only thing. Name. That I know. It's a frightening thing. If you do not know this book, you enter life without, the, without knowing any of the answers to anything. And you're guessing on everything. You're guessing on everything. And once in a while you might be right because, you know, there's five choices and you know, once in a while, you're going to be right. But 80% of the time, you're going to be wrong. And that's a miserable life. If you do not know this book, and this is why fear the man, fear the woman of one book. You know this book. You can do all sorts of reading. But if you do not know this book, the scriptures, you don't have a basis for this. 99% of the references in the New Testament are to Old Testament passages. Once in a while, like, like uh, a Jude does twice, he, he's quoting from, from apocryphal books, which is substantiating just those instances. Paul quotes one of their, their poets. But 99% of the, the, the quotes in the New Testament are from Old Testament scriptures. This is the book, that, this Bible is the book that will speak to us. This is the word that gives us instruction. This is what gives us instruction. And if you do not know the Lord, you cannot get this. You cannot. This book is a closed book to you if you do not know the Lord, unless you're seeking the Lord and you're saying, Lord, speak to me through this book, teach me. And then he'll begin to enlighten you. If you do not know the Lord, please come to see me or send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org. And please give me this opportunity to share with you so you can know the Lord. If you know the Lord... When you approach this book, say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me from this book. James tells us we do not receive because we do not ask. So the primary reason we don't receive is because we do not ask. Ask God to speak to you through this book. This is our book of instruction for life, or else you enter life going into this exam of life without having ever studied for it. This is gives us our pattern, and he speaks through these analogies of the Old Testament and the, the analogies of the New Testament. Remember Jesus said this, Paul said this, and then we go back to the Scriptures and we have a basis for God speaking to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for the truth of it. Father, give us a love a love for the Word of God, for every one of these words will last forever because they have defined the universe. We will be long dead, gone, forgotten, and this Word will remain. Lord, I pray that you would take these young people and burn in their hearts the desire to know this Word, to go through it again and again, to make this their daily meditation. Not a speed reading, but a daily meditation, Lord. 
that they would have this entire basis upon which to pull to give them insight for life so that they can distinguish between right and wrong, between that which is just teachings of men and that which is the wisdom of God. Father, instruct them, I pray. Teach them and instruct them, I pray. Father, your blessing, your blessing be there, I pray, and your instruction. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers. Save their souls, I pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.